Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men, Monkey Off My Backlog's second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is the Americo to my Logan, Sam. Oh yeah, that's me. Hi. <laughs> Joining us today is our other usual Momble co-host, Andy. Hello. Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. This is episode six, 2013's The Wolverine. So Andy, last year, you weren't really able to participate in our Fast and Furious-a-thon because your life was being turned upside down by a small child. Is that right? That is correct, and that is still the case. So what you're saying is no Fast and Furious for you this holiday season either? Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've seen them. But what are you looking forward to this holiday season now that you don't have to look forward to an impending birth? Are there any movies that you usually watch? Are you looking forward to any movies that are coming out or TV? Any pop culture stuff that you do in the holidays? The Wheel of Time. I'm looking forward to The Wheel of Time. That's super holiday specific. It, it I mean, it's... It's coming out November 19th, so that's what I'm looking forward to. It It already came out. It came out November 19th. Oh, it already came out, and it's wonderful. Oh, I just loved it so much. (laughs) It's so cool. I I thought it was a little weird to do a metaverse, but you you know what? It it actually kind of worked. It's weird, but also to make it like an Abba and Costello routine, you know, there are some geniuses in creativity. Let's dive straight into the discussion of the film. The Wolverine is inspired by the Silver Samurai storyline and the 1982 limited series by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. After the events of X-Men The Last Stand, Logan is hiding out in the Canadian woods dealing with survivor's guilt and PTSD. A young Japanese mutant, Yukio, shows up with a message from Ichiro Yoshida, a man that Logan saved from the bombing of Nagasaki during World War II. Yoshida is dying and wants to thank Logan. Logan reluctantly accompanies Yukio back to Tokyo, but quickly realizes that things at the Yoshida house are not what they appear to be. When he is mortally poisoned by Yoshida's doctor, Viper, he races against time to save Yoshida's granddaughter, Mariko, and understand what is really going on. So this film was directed by James Mangold, who also directed Logan, which we will talk about here in a few episodes, But Andy, what were your initial thoughts of this film, seeing it again for the second time, I assume? The third time? This is is my first time seeing it. You've never seen The Wolverine before. That is why I purposefully came on this episode. Perfect. So this is like you're really getting into the spirit of monkey off my backlogs. (laughs) What are your very first thoughts on this film, The Wolverine? This movie made me uncomfortable. Why? Um, well, there's there's some uh, great Japanese fetishism there. There's the knowledge that Frank Miller wrote what this is based on. Basically, what I'm saying is this made me uncomfortable in ways that Iron Fist did not. So it wasn't good? I, I didn't say that. Most of it was okay, good. So it, so it was good. There's a lot of good in it. To quote friend of the podcast, Nigel, how does it feel to be so 
wrong. Can you separate out like the fetishism from the how good the film is? Are those two separate things for you? I'm just curious how you're. And two, can you define the fetishism? Can you can you point to some examples? I'm curious, genuinely. Okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it: ninjas with bows and arrows inside. That was weird. It was weird. It was not comic booky. It was weird. It felt weird. There's there's lots of leniencies into this typical white savior trope, which given Logan's character, he actually does a good job of not being the, the typical white savior, but it still made me a little uncomfortable. There's the ro- romance that kind of comes out of nowhere for, for no real reason. It's difficult. There's a lot of... See, you're asking me to define this. Okay, there, there's a lot of this weird kind of fabulistic respect for the way things are, you know, and obeying one's parents and everything. And it just feels like Japanese fetishism. Oh, right. Two hands. You know, it's, it's weird. Okay. But a lot of the action is good. There are tastes of what Mangold will give us in Logan in this film. Weirdly, I know I'm complaining about this. The samurai sword duel halfway through the movie was fantastic. The ninjas with bows and arrows outside sequence was amazing. But there's just this weird thing of like, oh, this is the Yakuza and they do that. There's this weird, there's these weird moments where two Japanese characters will speak Japanese to each other and then randomly choose to speak English to each other. There's all these moments that just didn't, feel authentic to what the story was placing and then of course the final fight was one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in a superhero movie it's been a while since you've seen wolverine origins hasn't it it has been years since i've seen wolverine origins you you can you can say that all you want but right now a custom mech suit that is designed weirdly to take on Logan in one specific way, that's dumb. Well, let's let's dive into like some of the details of the film because we, we will get back to the Silver Samurai, which is like a big deal in the comics. I mean, there is a lot in the comics about Logan's relationship with Japan. It is very different from the way that this particular story is told, so I'd be curious to know what you think about that. This movie, unlike... X-Men Origins Wolverine, and unlike First Class, which is sort of a prequel, this movie tries to deal with some of the emotional fallout from Last Stand, such as it is. Now, Last Stand, we all agreed, was not a good movie, but there were some things that happened in it that would have impacted Logan in very specific ways, and we get to see some of that. He has a lot of survivor's guilt. He is obviously not taking the, the death of Jean Grey well. Femke Jansen reprises her character as Jean Grey in these like dreamlike sequences slash flashback sequences that that he has. What did we think about that aspect of Logan's character in this particular film? I liked it. I thought that was good. See, it's so weird having seen Logan before I saw this movie because everything this movie does but doesn't quite hit a home run on Logan does. Yes, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I I don't think I buy this character's reaction to being offered mortality, though. 
In what way? He rejects the notion. Like, Ishida offers immortality and he's like, no. So you don't buy that. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. Yes, I, I think he would have. I think he is somebody who is in the state we are seeing where he is angry and lashing out and best friends with a bear and and pulling a, a Dexter slash Man of Steel, you know, just in the Canadian woods. I think he would take it. I think that's that's what this character would want. And in fact, we know from the other movies that's something he was trying to figure out. I don't know. Was the Wolverine a better X-Men The Last Stand than X-Men The Last Stand? Probably, because it has emotional stakes from that movie, whereas the actual movie in question does not. (laughs) So, you know, somehow another movie is better at being the movie than the actual movie. It it, It is much better. This is definitely up in like the top four of X-Men movies. I will say that I was more convinced of his emotions about Jean Grey in these very short dream sequences than I was in the way they tried to set up the love triangle very badly in the first trilogy. The first trilogy was trying to tell us that he was in love with her, whereas this actually showed that guilt and that the PTSD from having to like kill somebody that you're actually in love with and the way that he wants to be with her, even though she's dead. And so that's, I I feel like this convinced me more that he was in love with her than the actual scenes where they're together in the original trilogy. Andy, some of the uses of Japanese culture in this film upset you, made you uncomfortable, but this is a film that is very much set within Japan and within a Japanese landscape it also they also filmed it in Japan and there's a lot of Japanese subtitles in this. What did you think about that aspect of the film? Was it handled well, badly, some of both? Japanese actors too. I should also mention that. A lot of it I I really liked. I can tell what Mangold's going for when he's shooting things to be like a samurai film or a Japanese western film. There's a lot of sequences that are clearly that there's a lot of sequences that are clearly supposed to be comic booky. I liked all of that. I enjoyed immensely the love hotel thing. Was the mission to space the right choice? Yes, yes, of course it was. <laughs> the space themed room was amazing. I thought that this movie, in a lot of aspects, could have easily been Hawkeye's arc between Endgame and Infinity War. And that would have been 10,000 times more awkward, more weird. It really is just a sense that I got. And then I spoke to some Japanese friends after this and they said, yeah, but it's a lot better than 99% of the American stuff that gets made out of Hollywood when it comes to showing Japan. So, you know, deal with it. It was just weird. It's 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 a feeling when you're somebody like me who is unfortunately, and I know I know this is, I'm a weeb. I like Japanese culture. There was nothing outright like disrespectful or super wrong. It just didn't feel right, especially with the way that they were portraying the yakuza. I don't know as much about Japanese culture as either of you, or obviously as somebody who is Japanese, but I didn't feel like. They were trying, like, I felt like maybe there were some moments that were a little bit dumbed down, like, for an American audience. Like, let me explain to you, like, how this works. 
But I didn't feel like there was any mean-spiritedness at all. Like, they were clearly trying to celebrate the landscape, even if they didn't completely get it right. It is almost impossible for me to separate what I now know about Frank Miller from any of his content beforehand. It's just just a lot of weird stuff, but I will say, what this movie does right, it does super right. So Sam, what did you think about Japan as a setting in this particular film? I know we're going to talk about another cultural referent in a minute, but I want to, at this point, bring up the 1980s comedy drama. I don't know. I guess it's more of a comedy than anything. Mr. Baseball, starring Tom Selleck, who plays a professional baseball player who is demoted to the Japanese Professional League, which, you know, arguably not a demotion. But this is before uh, Hideo Nomo came over to the Dodgers, which happened while I was living there, by the way. That is the movie that gives us the chopsticks and the rice. I mean, it is a thing. I mean, don't do that. But that, I can guarantee you, is an homage to that movie. It is like the ultimate gaijin stupid thing to do. They didn't do the other big thing that movies love to do when you take them to Japan. They did not have the gaijin discussion. Gaijin is used to describe Logan at least once. It is not translated correctly. No, it is not. I think it's translated incorrectly to just elide, to just avoid that conversation altogether because it is something you cannot avoid as a, I was going to say a white person, but really any, you know, white person, person of color, anybody who does not look 100% Japanese, you just can't avoid it. Well, I mean, I lived in a rural area. I didn't live in an urban setting like this one, but, you know, I was the first white person that a lot of these, you know, younger kids had seen in person. And, you know, people touched my hair without permission. (laughs) So it is not the same kind of experience, but but I have had people touch my hair without permission because it's different. It's it, why would you do that? Same thing here. When I was in Tokyo, I had this giant afro, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my nickname was Golden Hair. Anyway, the point is that this movie does some things, but it avoids some bigger things that are more. The, the more trope-tastic things that we like to do. You know, I just think it's really interesting. A lot of the things that, objections that you brought up. I mean, there's, there's this really interesting thing that happens in the movie where Yashida's son, the, the father, right? Yeah, the one who bites it, right? Yeah. Is talking with Mariko. She uses the honorific Sama when she's talking to him, which, you know, is not... I mean, totally abnormal, but it, it isn't, you know, Otosan would be normal, you know, but she says Otosama, and, and that just denotes they do not have a good relationship. They have a very formal relationship, and he does not, he certainly doesn't return the honorific. He doesn't even return the formal to her. It, it says a lot about the power dynamic, and if you're, if you're paying attention, it's like, oh, he's a jerk, and he's going to bite it, and I think you already knew that before then. But it's like this little untranslated bit that signals things. Well, that might say something about the actors, too, and the way that the actors are bringing 
their own interpretations of these characters and their relationships to the screen. That might not have anything to do with James Mangold as much as it does with with the acting. I did want to bring up really quickly because we both thought of two movies that this, I don't know if this movie is necessarily referencing them or if it's just like us thinking of them because we've watched them recently or talked about them recently. But Sam, do you want to talk about the James Bond of it all of this movie? I mean, if you've seen You Only Live Twice, you know they're riffing off of some of the plot beats from that and trying to basically say, you know, you could do this better. You don't have to be racist about it for any kind of fetishization. You know, the thing about it is, is that You Only Live Twice is a terrible movie. It's bad. It's bad. It's so bad. It's bad because of very clear cultural appropriation that goes beyond fetishization. It's just insulting. Yeah, yellow face. This movie has some of the same, you know, plot beats as as that movie. I thought that was interesting. I, 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 it, it cannot be an accident. I think that they are trying to reference some film history regarding, you know, American goes to Japan. I think they kind of succeed as far as it goes. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's better than what we had before. But an American didn't go to Japan in this one. A Canadian went. A Canadian did. Uh, and well, Bond is British, that's too. Yeah. Although this actually reminded me more of what you said that You Only Live Twice was about in the books. Because mm-hmm. it didn't you tell say in the podcast that You Only Live Twice, he's like gets amnesia. Yeah. And that's why he's in the little fishing village in Japan. Yeah. This movie, The Wolverine, reminds me more of that type of plot where he, yeah, his wife has died. He's trying to figure out, you know, even though Jean Grey wasn't. They weren't married, but like he's trying to figure out what his life is without this. Like we know that Logan has amnesia issues like that all that all checked out to me. This also reminded me just a little bit. Mariko reminded me just a little bit of Tracy Bond, because at the beginning of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Tracy Bond tries to kill herself and Bond saves her life. And obviously we get that scene in this movie where she tries to throw her, where Mariko tries to throw herself off the cliff and Logan saves her life. And so there's there's also that little referent as well. Anyway, moving past all of that, what I really like about this film is that the stakes, they're not low stakes, but they're not global stakes either. It's not a Skybeam type of movie. This is a very insular storyline. It's very focused on Logan as a character. It's very focused on these people who are part of this family. What did you all think about the way that this story is told versus the more global types of storytelling that we've seen so far in the X-Men films. I think that the stakes were global. If Logan's mutation got to somebody else, that has global ramifications. There's just no giant energy beam. Instead, it's a transformer. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that this isn't like the Avengers level, but it's not street level either. It's sort of like a mid-tier... Like, it's more about Logan as a character and him sort of dealing with a threat to his immortality and his healing power than it is about like, I don't know, Magneto trying to like commit a genocide. So we've talked about origins. We've talked about how origins could have been a very good movie. It could have been a good movie if they hadn't tried to hook in to the flagship series by embedding these cameos, by doing Deadpool, you know, because it was a lower stakes movie. It it was a movie about his relationship with Sabretooth. You know, that should have been that three-minute montage should have been, like, the whole first act. 
this is also a course correction on that. And, you know, we do have that credit scene that does hook in. But the whole idea of the movie, no good deed goes unpunished. That's what this movie is about. This, we're, we're dealing with the PTSD issues, but the, but the main thrust of this movie is Logan saved a life, and look where that gets him. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's the story. Whatever kind of stakes it has or however it links into the mothership, that's it. He did a thing, and he got paid back with a silver samurai, which just means Logan should just not do anything anymore which is kind of the message he takes from it, too. I mean, we could kind of get that from the first trilogy, too, right? Like, this idea of he got gets involved with the X-Men, ends up killing the woman that he loves. Do we learn anything about him? What? How do we feel like Hugh Jackman's performance is in this movie? He tries. I mean, he always tries. He said this one, he said this one was his favorite before Logan came out. Yeah, it's, it's the one that gives him the most, uh, no doubt. Like you said, Sam, they strip away all the cameos. Like, he's not competing for screen time with Sabretooth. He's not competing with screen time with the other X-Men. He's not fighting whatever Deadpool is. Like, we're just doing him and then this family. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the Act-Man in this movie. Oh, my God. Moving on. Let's talk about the Silver Samurai plot. So, Andy, you are not a fan of the way the Silver Samurai is portrayed in this film. Nope. You're not a fan of the end of this particular plot. But what do you think about the journey to the to the mech that we get at the end? The sword fight right after Logan uh, takes the thing off from his heart is wonderfully shot. It's wonderfully paced. The choreography is is great. That should have been the final. I loved the bullet train sequences, too. Oh, uh, <laughs> absolutely. The bullet train sequence, I, I for- forgot all about it, honestly. But yeah, I do have a question, though. How do Wolverine's claws stop him? If they're adamantium, they should be able to cut through anything. So how is he able to stop from just going all the way back? Like There should be n- almost no friction. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. I really don't. Well, well, Jackman, call me. We'll, we'll discuss it. <laughs> Hugh Jackman, please, please give us a call. I love the action. Let's talk about action sequences, actually. I mean, I know you don't like the mech fight at the end, but I do actually really enjoy the ninja fight in the village. That image of the uh, arrows in his back is like one of the best images of the film. Yes, absolutely. The lighting on, on the village is is wonderful, but it's it's why... It's why it just makes the entire fight in the compound feel so jarring when he gets to the giant laboratory. It makes everything feel just completely against whatever we've seen. Also, the ninjas using bow and arrows inside. Like, I get I get outside. The outside was wonderful. It felt like something out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was so cool. It was something Daredevil could have done. I also loved that Logan is someone who never really had to learn to fight because he just heals through it. And I love that. I love that it got shown in the uh, in the fighting because he just tanks all the hits he can. Wonderful. I, I, I loved the set design and everything about it. That just that final 15 minutes just soured my taste so much. 
the scene too where he like he puts the cigar in his mouth before he blows up the I don't know construction equipment that was very Wolverine that felt like it was a scene right out of the comic book that was good what did you think of the action sequences Sam any stand out to you can I tell you something I don't think you know this I'm pretty sure Andy doesn't know this I don't care about action scenes I don't care they are nothing to me They are the things that happen between the plot. And really, the action scenes that stick out to me... So, like, the one where John Wick just goes through the club and just shoots everybody? That's hilarious. It's just comical. Like, when they do the the, the car pranks in the Fast movies, it's just funny. Ha ha, people get murdered. Ha 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 ha. I don't take these action scenes seriously. There's no, oh, this is a good action scene because it does this, this, and this. I'm just sitting there going, oh, how droll. He did that. That's so funny. That's it. I don't care. Well, then let's change gears and have you talk about the plot since Andy (laughs) wants to talk about the action sequences. You can talk about the plot. What did you think of the plot of this film? I hate Viper. I hate her. I hate her. I have such a visceral hate for that character, which is how you know they did a good job. Is that it? That's it. All right, we'll just skip past all of the the Nagasaki and... I mean, I already said, like, the the whole Nagasaki thing is no good deed goes unpunished. I mean, this is, like, the weirdest revenge narrative of all time. It's like, you said you wanted to die, and I want your immortality, and you won't give it to me, so I'm going to build a giant metal mech to take it from you, I guess. I also enjoy the fact that there's only just so much adamantium in the world. Like, adamantium is the rarest metal until we need it for plot reasons, and then we can make a whole mech out of it. Well, that's what the wealthy is. What I want to know is where the vibranium at. True. question. It's true. All right, let's run through some of these new characters. We get Yukio, who's played by Rila Fukushima. Also a really good action actress, I think, in this. People who have listened to us all the way back from when we were doing our Road to Arrowverse will recognize her from Arrow. What do we all think about the character of Yukio? She plays, she's a mutant who can see people's deaths. She cannot see the future, just how people will die. That is not a power I want. But she's making the best out of a bad situation. Yeah, but I like action sequences with her. I thought those were really fun. And I thought that I liked that, especially the scene where Wolverine is like lying dead on the table and she's like jumping over him during that like action sequence. I thought that was a really cool use of space. Yeah, yeah, it it was all good. And then we got Mariko, who's played by Tao Okamoto. Did we think she was believable as this character who is like a very... I thought it was odd that she's portrayed as kind of like this innocent, like, rich girl, but then also she knows how to use knives. All the characters besides Logan, I don't think, had an emotional arc. They just were there as plot devices. I mean, you said it earlier. I think she has that that very Tracy Bond, or sorry, uh, Teresa de Vicenzo arc. Uh, Yukio is the much more interesting character. I, I think she is... It's a real shame there's never a way to really see her again. That was her character is really enjoyable and by comparison Mariko is not interesting. I did think it was interesting that Mariko and her father uh Sinjin who's played by Hiroyuki Sanada who like you mentioned Andy is has some really great action portions of this. They're both not mutants. The Shida family are not mutants. At least none of them seem to be mutants. 
But Yukio is sort of adopted into this family, and so is Harada, who's played by William Lee, who is the chief ninja, I guess. But, like, it's interesting that Yoshida, who is not a mutant, is obsessed with becoming a mutant and is obsessed with mutation in general to the point where he wants to expand his family to include these mutants. We're really used to seeing in the X-Men films the opposite, right? Humans hate mutants and they want to kill them or exterminate them, commit a genocide. What did we think about the reversal in this film? I didn't think about it at all. I mean, I, I didn't think about it much either, but but when you mention it, it kind of occurs to me that perhaps because he wants this immortality, right? He's built up this huge corporate empire and he doesn't want to let it go. It, it, in some way, it kind of feels like he wants to be very similar to, you know, a feudal lord and have like a coterie of mutants who are essentially his samurais. You know, I could I could see that. Maybe. I don't know. Just made me think of that the way that you mentioned it, you know, the way that you framed it with this isn't a mutant family, but they but he wants to bring them in. He treats his son like crap. Because he's not a mutant, basically. Well, he's also terrible. Wait, he's also a terrible person, but, you know, hard to tell. We also get Viper slash Madame Hydra, although she is not referred to by this name in, in this particular film, played by... Wait, Louis Louis Dreyfus is in this? No, this is a different character in the comics, but she's played by Svetlana Kochenkova. What did you think of her, Andy, since we know Sam's feelings on Viper? Her motivation was, I want money, her arc was, I poison people. But surely, surely you noticed. By the way, so of course Viper, she starts off as like an evil nine, right? Like pretty high on the evil scale. Like she's, there's no warm up here. It's not like uh, the eviler she gets, the more skin she shows, the less material there is and the shinier it is. <laughs> like her final form is like, a harbinger of Psylocke's costume in like Apocalypse or something. It is pretty funny because she starts out with like the little lab coat and like her hair's up. And then like, yeah, throughout the film, her 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 outfits get sexier and sexier to the point where in one scene, she's wearing like a green top and like these black leather pants. And in the next scene, she's taken off the pants to reveal that the, the green top is actually a skin tight suit with slits on the side. Okay, I need to go on the record as saying I find the lab coat sexier than the uh, green suit with slits on the side. And also, I think that the movie made a mistake in not having her try to betray Yashta, you know, at the last second. Like, anything beyond just money. Come on. Like, anything. And while they didn't make the Madrim Hydra connection in this film, because obviously they weren't working within, like, a greater Marvel universe, that would have been a really interesting take, right? Like, she's working for Hydra, and Hydra's sort of backing this play for power. I don't know. That could have been interesting. All right, and then Yoshida himself, who is played by two actors. What did we think about Yoshida? Just as a villain. The big bad, Andy. I get in theory why he would have been an effective villain. I think if we saw any of his relationship with Logan beyond just they were in a hole for a few days or something, that it could have been good. Logan tells us that he's a kind person, but we don't actually see any evidence of that. This movie is about Logan. It's not about any of the, the villains or anything. There could have been a lot more interesting things. Yeah, it, it was whatever for me. Like As far as on that end, it's no first class and it's no Logan. I mean, I, I do think it's fair that, that comment in some of the ways that these 
characters are are not built in any kind of good way. We watched the extended cut, and I could, I did too. Yeah, right. That extended cut does not extend any real character relationship. So they clearly don't find that to be a priority. And and I think at the end, I think maybe you're kind of implying that that's fine because this is a movie about the Wolverine. We have one more to talk about. Harada, who I mentioned before, who is like the chief ninja who has an inexplicable change of heart. (laughs) That was the scene that did it for me. I know you didn't like the ending action sequence. For me, it was when he was like, Tamariko, he was like, I just betrayed and like possibly killed the man that you're in love with, but make out? Okay, I need to make something clear. When that dumb samurai suit drills into Logan's three claws and then it does it on the other hand too, that's dumb. Was it telling us that his power lies in his claws? It It's clearly trying to get his bone marrow, which I get that, but it was drilling into his claws. So it was designed to incapacitate Logan in that specific way. Here's like a pre-astonishing fact. Harada is actually the original Silver Samurai in the comics, this character. He should have been the final villain. You know what? Let let the old man die when he was supposed to. Don't bring him back. It was really, really weird. Do a cool sword fight. You're done. Logan's so much better already. I fixed it. Thank you. Uh, I will become a Writers Guild <laughs> associate right now. I mean, you left out two really important characters. You have those really good digitally aged appearances from Fassbender and McAvoy. Like, I think it's really cool (laughs) that they took the new actors and aged them up to look like the former actors. I thought that was really neat. I don't, can't say I understand it, but, you know, that was cool. I mean, it was pretty good, too, like. They really look like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Of course, what Sam is referring to is the appearance of both Magneto and X in the credit scene. We also get the next X-Men film, Days of Future Past, teased there because we get the commercial for Trask Industries. And knowing that Magneto and X are teaming up can only mean one thing, that it's time for Days of Future Past. The way they teased it was just so, like, everyone got excited. Like, oh my god, like, X is actually going to be in this movie. And, like... He's going to actually team up with Magneto. I don't know. Like, people were thrilled. Do you remember my initial reaction to this scene? Where's Yukio? Yeah, Yukio is distinctly missing from this scene, even though the last time we see her at the end of the movie is with Logan. So, odd. After seeing First Class, which I did like, I did like a lot, and I do like Fassbender and McAvoy, it was nice seeing the, the, the best friends back at it again, the little flirtatious overtone that McKellen brings to this character just nobody can quite do it the way that he does it's time for some astonishing facts so as I mentioned before this is Jackman's favorite comic book storyline wanted to adapt the story actually before this movie he wanted to do it for X-Men Origins Wolverine however the studio convinced him that they needed to do another movie to more firmly solidify Wolverine as a character I think that was a mistake but Always listen happened. to the studio. They know exactly what's up. <laughs> Originally, Darren Aronofsky was signed on to direct this film, but then he bowed out, and that's how he got James Mangold. That would have been the weirdest movie. 
So little known fact, the ending shot of Black Swan, that, that final shot, not the scene, but the final shot with the final line of the film was originally intended for Hugh Jackman in The Wolverine. Little known fact, that's true. Other directors that were considered were Jose Padilla, Mark Romanek, Justin Lin of The Fast and Furious. So there's that little crossover for you. Hey, I know Justin Lin from Community. (laughs) Gavin O'Connor and, of course, James Mangold and Gary Shore. Antoine Fuqua. Sorry, I didn't read that one. Also, Antoine Fuqua. Okay, Gavin O'Connor, no. I, I don't know. I, I would have wanted to see uh, what, what Aronofsky would have done with this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's like, oh, man, that's like getting like Chloe Zhao to direct a Marvel movie. Like, it's got to be interesting. Was Jennifer Lawrence dating Aronofsky at this point? I don't think so. I think she was dating the guy who plays Hank McCoy, who I can't remember his name now. Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. Thank you. Not Frasier. <laughs> she was not dating Kelsey Grammer. Mark Romanek would have been interesting because uh, Romanek is is really most famous for his music videos, including the Johnny Cash video for Hurt, which kind of really goes with the Wolverine's aesthetic. Antoine Fuqua did Training Day, right? So this would have been not too long on the heels after that. That was the movie that Denzel won the Oscar for. It was supposed to be a real gritty movie i did not like it but that aesthetic would have lent itself to this movie so there that's what i got you you know who they should have gotten to direct this i just figured out brett ratner gross we've already talked about brett ratner on this podcast that was one podcast too many the actual director of this film mangold specifically wanted four female leads with their own missions so it would pass the bechdel test now we know that the bechdel test is not everything when it comes to writing a feminist movie but i do think that it's interesting that he was like i want four female characters and i want them to all have their own missions it's not a bad way to approach a movie this was filmed in japan it was mostly filmed in tokyo and hiroshima congratulations for filming it where it should have been filmed (laughs) and finally yukio as a character is gone at the end of this film but she does appear in another x-men property played by a different actress we are going to be seeing her in deadpool 2 and she is the girlfriend of negasonic teenage warhead she does actually reappear but enough about deadpool let's go back to this movie and talk about we've done astonishing facts let's do uncanny stats Instead of comparing this movie with First Class, let's talk about the other Wolverine movie. The budget of Origins had $150 million, and they blew all of it on nothing good, except for Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds and Lee Schreiber. To be fair, they did waste Ryan Reynolds in that movie. Well, they really did, but I hope he got paid. Anyway, perhaps realizing they made a mistake, they course-corrected in the wrong direction by giving competent director James Mangold... $30 $30 million less. This film was budgeted at $120 million. X-Men Origins opened beginning of summer. This one comes out toward the end of July. It scrapes together $53 million at the box office to Origins $85 million. And that sounds bad. Until you realize total box office was $414 million to Origins $373 million. This movie had a long tail, 
and it got that international gross. Well, and I also want to point out that uh, this movie came out in July, whereas yep. X-Men uh, Origins came out in May. Yep. Ju- just a quick point. Uh, July, the end of July is actually pretty not a good spot for summer blockbusters. This is kind of where summer blockbusters go to die. Yep. I just just wanted to, to point that out. Yeah. So, I mean, like this movie had a way better return on investment than Origins, and it was a better movie. So, I mean, like way to go, studios, for whatever. So, yeah, as you mentioned, this is an odd weekend. It obviously dominated the box office the week it came out. What did it dominate? The Conjuring, Despicable Me 2, Turbo, and Grown Ups 2. Good times. And now for our all-new, all-different segment, the one where Tessa tells us what we should read, watch, or whatever related to X-Men. So, actually, I was going to say The Silver Samurai storyline but Andy reminded me of how terrible Frank Miller is so I'm not sure I want to recommend that but then I realized we have Andy on the podcast Andy what is something our listeners should read that is in the same vein as the Wolverine in terms of having like somebody with powers in Japan doing cool why would you ask me that you're the one who says you're a human recommendation algorithm somebody in Japan who has special powers. Does Andy have a... Wait, wait, wait. No, no. no. Andy, Andy, Andy. She's asking you to recommend something you would read that's set in Japan that features characters with special powers. Maybe a manga? Maybe a manga? I... I don't know. Like, don't you have like an all-time favorite piece of pop culture that would literally fit that description? You know what? Here we go. Here we go. I got it. Read Spider-Verse. Because part of it's in Japan? Yes, because a few of the versions of Peter Parker that come out are in Japan. Perfect. That's all I was asking for. Look, look, look. Okay, okay. Read no, you can't. I can't recommend that in good faith. Uh, recommend it in bad faith. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Recommend it in bad faith. Uh, read Great Teacher Onizuka. Why is that bad faith? Uh, I do not believe it has aged well. I see. Neither has the Silver Samurai. It's. I, I mean. I mean. It is incredibly funny. It is about a teacher who uh, in Japan who used to be the head of a bicycle gang. Uh, and by bicycle, I mean motorcycle gang. He was known as the demon. And he ends up crashing his truck and needing a job. Uh, he was a truck driver for a little while. So he teaches a bunch of school children. And this is the delinquent class of school children who have driven multiple teachers to suicide. And it's him being an over-the-top, basically being Logan. It is him being Logan. All right. It's got the X-Men connection there. With being a teacher to a bunch of really special, really dumb jerk students, it's got him doing the dumbest things. Sounds like Logan. Yes, yes. Teaching Uh, teaching X-Men. Yeah. And he is basically immortal. He seriously takes on so much damage. There's one point where he has an aneurysm and still finishes a baseball game. All right. To prove to the kids that he loves them. Like, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Great teacher Onizuka, GTO. All right. It's time to 
go to the future to return to the past? Join us tomorrow for the next installment of the 13 Days of X-Men, when we will be talking about the rogue cut of X-Men Days of Future Past with friend of the pod, Elise. Watch along with us, tweet at us, email us, let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog, email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com, and visit our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Andy, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted, and you can find me on this awesome podcast called Monkey Off My Backlog. That's us. You'll be able to hear Andy again in our next regular episode of Monkey, our year-end spectacular. Spooktacular. No, it's Spooktober's over. Spooktober's over, yeah, buddy. I'm going to be doing a lot of horror movies. <laughs> All right. Where can people find you, Sam? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays and get that monkey off your back, bub.